You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. All right, so listen, we're in Advent, which Ben has talked about a lot. And when I think of Advent, I think of a time of hope. So it's the hope of what's to come. You know, a child is to be born. This child will be Jesus, right? And Jesus is going to save us from our sins, right? This is an exciting time. So it's hopeful. And so I want to talk about what hope looks like today, all right? And you guys know I'm a history nerd. And so for me to talk about what hope looks like today, I'm going to have to tell you uh, a Hanukkah story, all right? The Hanukkah story has a lot more to do with the temple. But I have to tell you, temple, Hanukkah story, and we'll get into some other stuff. You all right going through this history story? All right, we're going to do it. The temple, the Jewish temple. This was the place where God was housed, okay? The Jewish temple was there. God was there. Most people believe that God, God was not in the land. God was not in the sea. God was not in your heart. God was in the temple, okay? So you would go to the temple, and you would sacrifice to God, and God would see your sacrifice, and it was good. I mentioned once before that about 90% of the economy in the time of Jesus was temple sacrifice and temple ritual. So the temple was very significant. It's where God was. Now, every single time we talked about Israel being taken over, the temple was taken over. All right? Taken over more times than we can even count. Uh, interesting one. Alexander the Great came in, and he took over the temple. And Alexander the Great said, you know what? I want the Israelites to be able to worship here, so I'm going to leave them alone. Kind of cool, right? Alexander Great had bigger things to worry about. And so uh, he let them worship in relative peace, but then he died, and the Greeks took over and put Greek gods in the temple, and then started having uh, sporting events at this temple. And most scholars will say that uh, the modern-day Olympics derived from the takeover of this Jewish temple and the sporting events held there. Another interesting fact, right? Maybe just interesting to me. I think that stuff's cool. Anyway, uh, so what happened was, and this is what brings up Hanukkah, what happened was there was a group called the Maccabees, and the Maccabees wanted the temple back. And so they led a revolt. This revolt took about eight days, and the whole story goes it took them eight days to do it, and yet they only had one, enough uh, oil for one lamp and it, or for one night, and it lasted eight nights. So it, it was an eight-day revolt where they ritually cleansed the temple, temple, and they got it back to where the Jewish people could once again worship with their God in this temple. And it's uh, such a special thing to celebrate this Hanukkah, the Maccabees taking back the temple, um, because what happened is for the next few years, they were able to worship in relative peace. That is until the Roman Empire came around. We've talked a lot about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire came, took over the temple again. And this time they allowed no, uh, any, anything Hebrew, there was no uh, God of the Israelites in the temple at all. There was only Caesar in the temple. And that's when, that's when the Messiah came. That is when the Messiah came. This Messiah was the one the Jewish people were looking for. And this Messiah was the Messiah who came from a clean bloodline, who came from a line of firstborns, who came from a kingly line, who came from a line of great influencers, and he was widely considered the Messiah. You know who I'm talking about. Let's all say his name together. Ready? Bar Kokhba. <laughs> you know it, right? Good job. Bar Kokhba. There was a Messiah. Bar Kokhba. In fact, the greatest rabbi who lived at that time, Rabbi Akiva, said, this is the man. This is the Messiah. It's what they were looking for. He was strong. He was powerful. He owned land. He was a warlord. He overthrew parts of the Roman government and set up a provisional government inside the temple. In fact, he started producing his own coins, Bar Kokhba. He started producing his own coins, and he said, this is how we live now. I'm the leader the Roman Empire has nothing left to do with us. And the Jewish people are like, this is incredible. This is the Messiah. Bar Kokhba is the Messiah. 
until a general came in, General Valpasian came in and literally leveled the temple, leveled it. In fact, he leveled it in such a way where he said to his soldiers, nobody loot a thing. I want everything to be dust and rubble. I want these people to know that their God no longer lives here. I want them to know that there's only one God and that God is Caesar. So the entire temple gets leveled. Every, leveled every priest, every Levite, some rabbis, some Pharisees are all killed. Not only are they all killed, but their families are all killed. The only way that I can even try to get us to wrap our heads around this is if on a Sunday... A bunch of terrorists come into all of our churches and they destroy all of our churches and then they kill the pastors and all the pastors' wives. All at once. That's basically what happened. This was a threat. This was a threat to uh, not only their culture, but it was a threat to Judaism on the whole. They almost eradicated a religion. That's how big of a deal it was. So if you are Jewish... You just lost your temple. It's rubble. You're literally sitting in rubble. You lost family. You lost friends. And you don't have anywhere to turn. You've lost hope. And yet, and yet there's this small little group of people. This small little group of people, they historically called themselves the Messianic Jews. That's what they called themselves historically. Uh, and, uh, and later on they would call themselves Christians, but for now, Messianic Jews. And these Messianic Jews said, hey, we don't believe that Bar Kokhba was the was the Messiah. Um, we actually believe that this man was, was the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And we believe that while you sit here in rubble, in, in hopelessness, and your family has died, and there's no way you think you can connect with God, we're here to tell you that there's ways to connect with God. We're here to tell you that there's hope in this Jesus. We're here to tell you that you have hope because that God never resided in that tap, temple. That God is, is here. It's with us. It's the Holy Spirit. And they said, we want to tell you about this Messiah. And so what they did was this small group of Messianic Jews gave the Jewish people at large a copy of the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we get the Gospel of Matthew from. It was written for a group of people, a group of Jewish people, who lost absolutely everything, who were devastated and who thought that there could not and would not be any more hope. So they take this book, this Gospel of Matthew, and they take it and they open it up, and the first thing they see is a genealogy. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And who, who knows what a genealogy is? You guys know what it is? It's basically like an ancestry. It's like you're finding out who, who your ancestors. I just found out, I wrote this in an email to everybody on Friday. I just found out that my 36th great grandfather is Charlemagne. That's cool, right? My uh, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th great grandfathers were Jewish refugees. My 10th great grandfather was a rabbi. I didn't know that. Um, my great great grandmother had my great-grandfather out of wedlock. She was 20 years old. Her name was Minerva Vincent. And, um, and a man came along. We don't know his name. We don't know his first name. We only know his last name because his last name was Williams. And when he married Minerva Vincent, he gave my great-grandfather the last name Williams. So I'm actually only the fourth generation to have that last name. You find out some interesting stuff in your genealogy, right? Pretty interesting. It leaves you a bit of a legacy. There's a legacy in your genealogy. And so when you open up uh, a scripture and you're hopeless and your family's dead and you're literally sitting on rubble, you want hope. You're looking for hope, the hope of Advent. And what you end up finding is this genealogy. And let's read the first verse of it. It says, This, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. How many people have never read this genealogy before Ben read it so eloquently? A couple. How many people have just like sort of scanned over it? Be honest, be honest. How many people scanned over it? There's my scanners. There you are. 
How many people have read this intensely? Hmm. Oh, good job, Ian. I'm proud of you today. Ian wins the gold star. Um, so, yeah, this thing I'm telling you right now, this is what makes the Bible the Bible. This stuff is so good. It's good. This genealogy is really exciting. I'm excited about it. I'm going to tell you why. When you read Matthew 1.1 that says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. They see the word genealogy and it translates into the Hebrew Genesis, the beginning. And so what they're reading actually is they're saying, this is the new beginning. This is the new creation. This is the new, this is where we start off. We are not at the end. We're now at the beginning. That's what they read. That's what they hear. And at their beginning are two of their national heroes, Abraham and David. So this Messiah comes from Abraham, comes from David. They're two national heroes. Now, if America got wiped out the way I said, and uh, somebody came along and said, I can help America, I can rescue America. My one ancestor is George Washington, another is Abraham Lincoln. We can do this, right? We would all join hands and sing the national anthem. That's what we would do, right? That's sort of what's happening here. When people would read this who lost all hope, they would start to get excited. There was a bit of nationalism going on. They, they felt patriotic. We're going to be okay. There's a new Messiah, and he comes out of Abraham and David's line. This is good news. This is a new beginning. And you know why I love Scripture? I love Scripture because sometimes what God does in the most simplest of ways is say, Hey, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. In our lives, when a million different things are going on in our lives and we don't know where our next paycheck is coming from and we car got towed and I don't know, everything else that's happened to my friends this week, there's this spirit telling you you're going to be okay. And that's what's happening in verse 1. You're going to be okay. But then when we read the rest of this genealogy, this thing is filled with scandal and deceit and controversy. It is filled with... Um, things that would automatically disqualify Jesus from ever being the Messiah. And so I think we should talk about them. Let's do that. Let's talk about Abraham first, can we? Abraham is the first one. Um, Abraham is a shepherd. Being a shepherd at that time is uh, a, similar to being an assistant sweep, broom sweeper at uh, like a bodega or something. Okay? And if that's your job, I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm just saying that most of us don't have a lot of influence if that's our job. But shepherds had no influence. All right? The shepherd needed to have a child. The shepherd Abraham needed to have a child. He could not have a child. And it took years and years and years. So finally, uh, Abraham's wife said, hey, I want you to go sleep with your servant. Okay, go sleep with her because you can have a child with her and then your legacy will continue. Then you'll pass on your genealogy. And so he went and he slept with his servant and his servant had a child and the child's name was Ishmael. Okay, that's the firstborn. That's the one that passes on inheritance. That's the one that... that gets the legacy. Firstborns always get the legacy. But when Sarah, who's Abraham's wife, was in her 90s, when she should have been walking around on like a, you know, those things with the tennis balls in the front, you know what I'm talking about. When she should have been walking around on one of those, she gets pregnant. And she has a son named Isaac. So now Abraham has a choice he has to make. My firstborn, which is the right thing to do, the cultural thing to do, the traditional thing to do, should be the one that I pass my legacy on to. But there's Isaac, who's a gift. So Abraham makes a decision to send Ishmael away, his firstborn, and to pass on his legacy to Isaac, the secondborn. What that does is that basically calls out, right at the beginning, it calls out scandal. It calls out and says that there was an adulterous affair that happened, 
And I'm, I'm going back with the one who wasn't a part of that affair, and I'm not going back to my, my firstborn. This would have been uh, something that you would have seen, and right away you would have been like, Jesus can't be the Messiah because Abraham, uh, his son is Isaac, and Isaac wasn't the firstborn. That disqualifies him in Jewish tradition. Here's another interesting fact. Ishmael is widely considered the father of Islam. Interesting. So when we read Matthew 1, verse 2, Abraham, the father of Isaac, in essence... We're reading about a curse, an affair, something that is setting things completely different than what any Jewish people could ever know. And then we keep going. We got another story. It's a story of this woman who marries a man and the man dies. And when this man dies, the law says that this woman has to marry the brother. And so she marries the brother and the brother dies. And the law says that she's got to marry another brother. So there's another brother there, and he's really, really afraid to marry this woman because his two brothers have died. (laughs) So he's scared. And so this is going to get PG-13. I think we're all adults in here. So he's consummating the marriage, and he's so afraid to uh, uh, marry her that when the time comes, he, he pulls out. He pulls out. And it makes God so upset that he pulls out that he's struck dead right there on the spot. That is messed up, right? So there's one more brother, and that other brother goes, there's no way I'm marrying you. Three of my brothers have died. One pulled out. And she's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And uh, what she does is she dresses up. She disguises herself as a prostitute. And she goes and she finds her father-in-law. And what she does is she ends up seducing her father-in-law as this prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law. And while she sleeps with her father-in-law, she steals his, his uh, cord. And this cord, uh, this seal, is basically like stealing a driver's license in today's time, okay? So basically takes like this driver's license from him and and has it. And so she comes back a couple months later to her father-in-law and she says, I'm pregnant. And the father-in-law is furious. He goes, what are you talking about? You need to be stoned. Who did this to you? And she says, the person whose seal I have is the person who did it to me. And then she throws it at him and it's his seal. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Like, this is better than a TV show, no? Like, this is really good stuff. He's the father. He's the father. Who are those people? Well, let's look. Matthew 1, verse 3. Judah is that person, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's the mother. This is in Jesus' genealogy. These are the people. Uh, what we should know is that at the time that Scripture is written, uh, the reproductive, um, I don't even know how to say it. They, they thought that the men held all the reproductive capabilities. So men held the seeds of life, and then the seeds of life would go into the woman, and the woman would be basically an incubator for the seeds of life. That's what they thought at the time. And so if you had a genealogy, there was no way you would put a woman in a genealogy because the woman uh, had no seeds of life in her. Okay, so it was the wrong thing to do. If a woman was in your genealogy, it disqualified you from being a Messiah. And yet, not only do we have Tamar, in there, who seduced her father-in-law, we have another woman named Rahab. Rahab was somebody you guys might know. She was from Jericho, so she wasn't an Israelite. She was a prostitute. She saved a bunch of people during a revolutionary war. She's in Jesus' genealogy. We have a woman named Ruth. Ruth was also a foreigner, a Moabite, or a Moabitess. And she seduces a man while he's drunk and sleeps with him, and then when he wakes up, he's got enough honor to marry her and make her an honorary Israelite. Those women are in Jesus' genealogy. These women are there, and that completely disqualifies you from being Messiah. But what we're starting to get from the first few stories is that this isn't any normal genealogy. 
what we're starting to get is that this is a broken genealogy, an imperfect genealogy, a genealogy that's bringing great hope to other people. Let's talk about David. This is what it says in Matthew 1.6. David was the father of Solomon who, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You've got to hear that language. That's a big, like, it's a big deal that he said whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Why? Because David's the king. He sees Bathsheba and he takes her, right? He's king. It wasn't a complicit affair. He's the king. He takes her. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. When he finds out he gets her pregnant, he freaks out and decides to have her husband Uriah killed on the front lines of a battle. So he murders her husband. Takes a woman... Has, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, murders her husband. Off to a good start, aren't we? So after that, she has their child. Their child dies, but they have another child, and this child's name is Solomon. Now, David had, what David had was, was legitimate children. He had a legitimate firstborn son. But he chooses instead to pass on his legacy to the illegitimate son, Solomon. In fact, throughout the entire genealogy that Ben read to you, there's not a single firstborn son in the genealogy. That's because this genealogy is completely different. This genealogy is completely different than anything anybody in Jewish history would have ever seen. It's talking about broken, controversial, adulterous, skeptical, deceitful people who are creating a line of a Messiah. But let's continue. Because there's a bunch of no-names. And remember, if you're going to be a Messiah, you have to have influence. There's a bunch of no-names, average Joes, or like I like to say, average Zahazes, <laughs> or average Zadoks. There's plenty of them. And then my favorite, my favorite is this one, the end. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Ooh, this is so good. How many people have seen the movie Eight Mile? Eight Mile. Only a few of you. This is not going to work. Oh, no. So in the movie Eight Mile, I'm going to explain to you. It's about Eminem's life, the rapper Eminem. And, uh, and at the end of the movie, he's, he's like rapping against this, this other rap, rap crew. And uh, he's ra- so he's rapping, but, but he basically, this other rap crew, all they do is make fun of him, right? That's all they do. They make fun of him. And so when he, at the end of the movie, he gets up and he goes, yeah, I live in a trailer park. Yeah, my girlfriend cheated on me. Yeah, my dad ran away with somebody else. Yeah, I'm stupid, but I'm still the best rapper you've ever seen. And then he just drops the mic. And everybody in the place just goes crazy because they know that there's nothing else anybody can say. When you read this, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary was the mother of Jesus, called the Messiah. It's a drop the mic moment. Why? Jesus was not called Redeemer. Jesus was not called Messiah. You know what Jesus was more often called by Pharisees? Bastard. He's called a bastard. So if we take a, a passage like Mark 6, chapter 3, it says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. That word Mary's son translates into a word called mamzer. And mamzer in the Hebrew is is a word that means bastard. So basically they're saying, isn't this the bastard? Which means that Jesus has been fighting his illegitimate birth throughout his life. It's something that has come up throughout his life. And so when they pick up this genealogy and it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, and Mary's the mother of Jesus called the Messiah, it's like, yeah, that'll happen. Boom, what? 
That's exactly what it's doing. It's saying, yeah, what? So let's review. You have no firstborn sons. That would disqualify you from being a Messiah. You have women. That would disqualify you from being a Messiah. You have adultery. Disqualify you from being Messiah. You have average Joes, Joes and Zadoks and Zahazes. That would disqualify you from being a Messiah. You have an illegitimate birth. That would disqualify you from being a Messiah. And yet, what do we have? What do we have? We have Jesus. We do have the Messiah. Who comes through an imperfect group of people who have made mistake after mistake and have been broken an imperfect group of people who have been hurt, who have been beat down, who have been oppressed, an imperfect group of people who have sat on rubble and lost family members and been at the verge of death. And those people, those people are the legacy of Jesus. Those people are the legacy of Jesus. We are the legacy of Jesus. We are an imperfect group of people. We have been twisted. We have been turned. We have been hurt. We have people in our past who have been refugees and maybe slaveholders and maybe have done awful things and been adulterers as well. We have people in our own lives right now that we know who have hurt us, who have abused us, maybe emotionally or sexually or physically or whatever else. We know that those people are in our lives. We are twisted and feel broken and hurt and in pain. And maybe some of us are even ready to just give this whole faith thing up. And yet we... We have a legacy in Jesus. We have a legacy in Jesus. Abraham's legacy was Jesus. Isaac's legacy was Jesus. Tamar's legacy is Jesus. Perez's legacy is Jesus. Our legacy is Jesus. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to pass it on? What will our legacy be? Josiah's legacy is Jesus. Zahad's legacy is Jesus. Zadok's legacy is Jesus. What is our legacy? What will our legacy be? What will we pass on? We pass on Jesus. This is there to give hope beyond hope that there is a God who says, I make your crooked path straight. I make your brokenness and I make it whole. And I see what you've done. I see your mistakes and I see everything that you have done in your life that is a struggle or that has hurt you or whatever else it may be. And I tell you that I'm here to make you new and make you new through my son, through Jesus. And if you don't believe me, take a look at where he came from. Take a look at that. We are not accidents. We're not victims. We are made to be part of this legacy. We are a part of this story. We are wholly a part of God's story. So the question becomes, our legacy is Jesus. What will our legacy be? What are we going to give? What do we do from here? I love the fact that Jesus doesn't come from a a clean line, clean line. I love it that he doesn't uh, come from from influence. I love it that the kings that, that are part of his line are people who have made grave mistakes. I love that because what will our legacy be? Will our legacy be, uh, you know, looking for Jesus in the places of influence and power and money and wealth, important people? Where will we be looking for this Jesus? Where will our legacy be? Will it come in the people who are oppressed, who are hurt, who are looking for a safe place? What will our legacy be? Our legacy is Jesus. We're sitting in rubble Maybe we've lost hope, and our legacy is Jesus. I want you to take a second, and I want you to close your eyes.
I want you to think about where you've come from. And I want you to think about where you're going. And I want to think you to think about, if you have kids, think about your kids or a significant other, think about them. What you want to pass along to them. And I want to pray these words. God, we are a part of your story. Thank you. That we can be wholly a part of your story. Lord, some of us in this room today are broken and battered and our lineage includes adulterers and includes robbers and prostitutes and no names and slaveholders and refugees and those, called us, those who called us derogatory names and those who are oppressed. You know them, God. Our lineage includes people who have hurt us physically, emotionally, sexually, other ways. You know that, God. We've made mistakes and we've built temples to other gods and we've tried to put you in places and we've wanted to walk away from the faith altogether. We know that, God. God, there are times we feel lost and dispirited and ready to give up and you know that. You read it in our genealogy, God. But God, thank you for the good news that because of this genealogy of Jesus Christ, thank you that for that good news that we are not accidents. We are not victims. We are planned for greater vision. We are planned for greater purpose. We are planned for greater passion. We are planned to leave your legacy. Amen. What will our legacy be? What's it going to be?